want to welcome you this morning. My name is Brian White. Um, we're starting a new sermon series. Uh, today, we're going to look at Jesus' Beatitudes. Um, the Beatitudes are found at the beginning of the uh, famous Sermon on the Mount. It's kind of like the preamble. I want to just start by reading them. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he began to speak, and he taught, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You know, usually when we look at the Sermon on the Mount, um, we, we think of there, 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 this body of Jesus' teachings on ethics and morals, and um, that he lays out these rules. And we're supposed to really work hard to emulate uh, these rules, and, and like Trevor said, rules. And, and he gives us this as our goal, and our job is just to do it. And then we kind of throw the whole thing to the side because we realize that the bar that he has set is so high we can't even fathom living up. But we think if people would, would just live like Jesus teaches on the Sermon on the Mount, that the whole world would be a much better place. And, and I certainly am not going to argue with that at all, but that line of thinking is kind of missing the point. The Beatitudes are not a list of behaviors that we're supposed to emulate. The Beatitudes are a list of things that Jesus says his followers will experience regardless what is going on around them. Whatever the environmental factors, the good, the bad, the ugly, Jesus' followers experience blessings because of God's presence. And I think this is so important for us as we start January 2022. You know, so many people in our world, they just kind of react to the environment and the surroundings, and if the weather's good, then we're happy, but if it's not, everything's bad, and as a society, you know, we just kind of react to the social weather around us, and our emotions, they rise and they fall based on what's going on, what is ever happening with our friends, and when we listen to the news, and, you know, the COVID stats just dictate our emotions and our anger and our happiness, and, you know, even our emotions are everybody else's fault, Jesus says his disciples carry their own weather within them. Whether it rains, whether it shines, we're blessed. Like I say, I think this is so important to think of in January of 
2022. You know, we had one staff out with COVID last week. We had another staff out with COVID, all right, watching the kids who have COVID this week. And, you know, frankly, I'm just tired of the whole thing. But it's our reality, right? And, and it's going to happen. It's not going to go away. The other day, a friend of mine uh, sent me a meme, and I just thought it was hilarious and so dead on. And uh, she sent me this meme, and it said, 2022 feels like the, the boyfriend that we're about to take back for the third time because he swears he's changed. <laughs> Listen to the attitudes again. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness' sake, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called the children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you. He's looking at his disciples when he says this. Blessed are you when people revile you when they persecute you, when they utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account, and rejoice and be glad. Your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is not a teaching of timeless truths that we're supposed to learn. Jesus isn't giving us good advice here. Jesus is proclaiming gospel here. There's a big difference between good advice and gospel truth. And I want us to see the Beatitudes less in terms of a body of teaching on ethics and, and morals and more about Jesus painting a picture of kingdom life. Because he's saying, this is how life in the kingdom goes. This is what kingdom people experience, the ups, the downs of life, in this side of eternity. They are blessed regardless what's going on around them. COVID or not, you know, not because we have our head in the sand, not because we're not paying attention to what's going on, not because we don't care but because we experience God in the midst of the good, in the midst of the bad, in the midst of the ugly. And that leaves us blessed beyond measure. This is the key to real happiness, right? Especially in our world right now, because everybody's angry. And it seems like, you know, anger is just another virus that we're dealing with as a society right now, and it's spreading faster than Omicron. The Beatitudes paint a very different picture for Jesus' followers. Rather than teachings that we're supposed to emulate or a list of suggestions that will lead to a happier life, 
the Beatitudes, they're, they're a picture of how people will follow Jesus, who follow Jesus, will experience the exact same events in a very different way than people who do not follow Jesus. Do you think the way a disciple experiences something like a global pandemic should be different than someone who's not a disciple of Jesus? You know, during the week of Thanksgiving, I, I wrote in the church blog uh, about a, a hymn that was written by a uh, very famous pastor, Martin Rinkhart. It's entitled, Thank We All Our God. Now, thank we all our God with heart and hands and voices, who wondrous things has done in whom this world rejoices who from our mother's arms has blessed us on our way with countless gifts of love and still is ours today. And that hymn was written in 1636. And Pastor Rinkhart, he lived in a city in Saxony, Ellenburg, Saxony. And the city had experienced just complete overcrowding from fugitives fleeing from the Thirty Years' War. And the overcrowding, it, it produced a famine which produced a breeding ground for a horrible plague. Devastated the community. He was the only surviving pastor in the community, and he conducted up to 50 funerals a day. And the year he wrote that hymn, Pastor Rinkhart led over 4,000 funerals, including the funeral for his wife and for his family. And I'll tell you, when I think of the Beatitudes, especially the first one that we're going to look at in a minute, Rinkhart and that hymn are like the first thing I think of. Oh, may this bounteous God through all our life be near us, with ever joyful hearts and blessed peace to cheer us, to keep us in his grace and guide us when perplexed, free us from all of the ills of this world and the next. Pastor Rinkhart experienced the reality of the presence of God. I think that in a way that can only come through a very, very difficult time. It's not that you only experience God's presence in times of tragedy, but so often it's, it's in those times of desperate need that we find God's work and we experience God's tangible presence in our lives. Blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. That's what that hymn is about, right? Finding strength in God when you need it the most. When you have nothing but God to rely upon, because everything else has just been stripped away from you. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know, being poor in spirit, it's not something that you choose, ever. But it just becomes your reality. We get sick. We lose someone that we love dearly. Some tragedy occurs in our lives. And, and that tragedy becomes an unforeseen, unexpected opportunity. 
for us to rely on God in a way that we never, ever would have without this thing. And I think the key is learning to invite Jesus to be Lord of that situation. And it's hard. Corey Timbom once wrote, you may never know Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. I've been with people in those times throughout my career. I mean, those times when the poor in spirit, they find themselves blessed. I mean, the point Jesus is making here is that when we follow him, we are blessed regardless of the environmental stimuli that's going on in our lives. Because the worst thing becomes the more potential to experience God. And that's what matters most. You know, the Beatitudes, Beatitudes, they, they describe life in the kingdom. When we're poor in spirit, we're blessed. When we are mourning, we find comfort. Be clear, God does, or Jesus doesn't say God's going to bless you so you won't ever be poor in spirit. Jesus does not say that. Jesus does not say God's blessing upon you is that you will never, ever find yourself mourning. Jesus is saying kingdom people experience God in every single aspect of the journey. And our perspective is very different from those who experience the exact same things who do not affirm Jesus as Lord. Because in all things, in the good and the bad and the ugly, we experience God's presence. And Jesus invites us to live in, in, in his kingdom and place our lives under his throne. And this will change everything. L living, living in the kingdom in right here, right now, that's the key to this blessing, to the key to real happiness. So before I go any further, uh, a couple things I think we need to look at. One, why, why do we call these the Beatitudes, right? You know, as a kid, I thought... They called them Beatitudes because every single line started with a B because it was the word blessing. And, and I was kind of on the right track. I didn't realize that. But in Latin, the word is Beatitus. And um, it translates like blessed, happy is some translations, although I don't quite think that works. The New Testament was written in Greek, and, and the Greek word is makarios. And I don't want to go into a lot of detail there, but, but the deal is the Latin translation, they started calling them Beatitudes, and it became a genre. And, and it's not just in the Bible. Um, Beatitudes are a literary genre that we find in other works in history. From Psalm 1-1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. That, that's a beatitude. But there's beatitudes in Homer, in other classical works in literature. Uh, there's actually 45 beatitudes in the Old Testament. And there's 37 in the New. I didn't realize that until this last week. Nine in the Sermon on the Mount. They're in Paul's letters. They're in James. A bunch of them in, in Revelation. But Jesus' Beatitudes are different. Matthew tells us Jesus goes up this mountain. And he speaks to his followers. And I'm not going to go into a lot of details here, but... but, but 
when we hear this, we're supposed to think Exodus, okay? Uh, so God gave the law to the people on Mount Sinai through Moses. Now, what was the law? Well, the law was a covenant. If you follow this way of life, I will be your God. You will be my people. You'll be my special people. God created a covenant community on the first mountain when he gave the first law. So Matthew stacks illusion upon illusion upon illusion here in these passages. And he wants us to get on this new mountain when Jesus is giving this sermon. He is the new improved Moses. And he's giving the new improved law to the new improved community through a new improved covenant. This is why this is the exact first time we read the, the word disciple in Matthew. It comes right at this juncture. Because this life, this is, this is the new covenant community. These are the new covenant people. So in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus paints a picture of what that life's going to look like. And it's very different than life outside the covenant. When King Jesus is your king, you experience the exact same things non-kingdom people experience in a very different way. And even the most difficult moments, and we have them, that's not the point, they're opportunities to experience God in a new profound way, like Martin Rinkhart. When Jesus announced, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, he was not giving good advice. He's stating gospel truth. And when you find ourselves poor in spirit, we're in a space that God can do profound things. The resurrection never would have happened if Jesus hadn't died first. The tomb never would have been opened if the stone hadn't sealed it first. So what does poor in spirit mean? Spiritual poverty, and crisis, spiritual crisis, but empty and desolate. Someone who has hit rock bottom emotionally, and they're just in complete need. And they're the end of just trying, and they're ready to give up. And they finally realize they can't do this on their own. And, and they have no one left to turn to but God. All of the other options have been stripped away. They have no option. And they know it. And that's the blessing. When you're there, and you know God is the only thing left, and you turn to him because you've exhausted every other option, you've tried everything else, nothing else has helped, when you're poor in spirit, you finally come to a place where you will turn to God and put your faith in him. Jesus is saying that's emotional poverty. Blessed are the poor in spirit because they recognize it, and they cry out to God because they have no one to cry to left. 
The poor in spirit, they live, they live in faith today in the promise of what God is going to do in the future. And they believe it because that's all they got to fall back on. They've exhausted every other option. Ulrich Lust wrote, the promises lie in the future, but the joy about them is in the present. I love that. And we've all been there. I'm just... It, the end of your, you feel like you're hanging over a cliff and you got one strand of rope left. And you look down and you hope. Now, the thing is, our world would say this is a bad thing because we're at a weak point. And our society does not place a high value on weakness, right? But that's not biblical wisdom. That would be the wisdom of our world. And where the world would pronounce weakness and a, a person who is weak is a failure, God is a very present Listen to what biblical wisdom says. Psalm 149.4, For the Lord takes pleasure in his people and adorns the humble with victory. Or Isaiah 49.13, Sing for joy, O heavens, and exult, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing, for the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his suffering ones. Isaiah 66, 2, all these things my hand has made, so all these things are mine, says the Lord, but this is the one to whom I look, to the humble and contrite in spirit, who trembles at my word. Or Isaiah 61, 1 through 2, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. That should sound kind of familiar because Jesus quoted that passage when he came out of the wilderness and basically said, this is my mission statement. So the humble and the suffering and the contrite, and those who tremble, and the oppressed, and the brokenhearted, and those who mourn, and the captives. These passages describe a group of people who were called the Anawim back in Jesus' day. And they had three things in common, the Anawim. They were economically poor, but they put their trust in God. And they all came together at the temple and they longed for the Messiah to bring justice. In the New Testament, the personification of the Anawim is found in two individuals. Um, and, and they're really important, and we don't kind of spend enough time with them. And that's Simeon and Anna. If you remember the story, Luke 2, Simeon and Anna, they're at the temple when Jesus is presented as an infant. In Luke 2, and, and Luke says Simeon was a right, righteous, devout man, and it says the Holy Spirit had let him know that he would not die until his eyes had seen the Messiah. 
And so he was in the temple. And, and Mary and Joseph, they bring in baby Jesus to be circumcised, was the point, on the eighth day. And, and he saw the baby, and he took him in his arms, this old man, and he said, Master, now you are dismissing me, your servant, according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for the revelation of the Gentiles and glory for your people Israel. In other words, this is everything that man was living for. Anna was there too. So if you, if you read Luke and Acts very closely, usually th th there's a male and a female counterpoint for just about every story. And, and they kind of pair together and they kind of do the same things. Well, Anna, Luke calls her a prophet. She's 84 years old. And she'd been a widow most of her life and Luke says Anna never left the temple. It was her life. She worshiped there, fasting, prayer, night and day. That was all she did. And the moment that she saw Jesus, she praised God. And she said, God is going to bring redemption through this baby, through this child. And here's the point. They are very different people, but they were the Anawim, those who were the poor in spirit. But their entire hope rested on the coming Messiah. He was a righteous old man. She'd been a widow most of her life. Both just lived at the temple, worshiped God, and that was the point. For them, their entire being, everything, their hope, their faith, their life was centered on was the coming of the Messiah. That was all that mattered to them. It didn't matter what else happened. And when they finally experienced Jesus, their life was complete. Over the years, everything had been stripped away. And their life was about this one thing. And when they met him, they were complete. So here's the, I don't know what the last couple of years have been like for all of us, but I have an idea. And as we listen to Jesus' words here, what's important? Don't listen to it for advice. Listen to it for gospel. Because so often I think we put our hope and our faith in everything but the only thing that matters. And true happiness is never going to be found in the things of this world. I mean, the world, the world says the path to happiness is what? Is things, is money, is stuff, is power. And those things are like a cancer. And, and they'll just eat a hole in your heart. And if you chase down that road, you're never going to be satisfied. You're always going to want more, more and more and more. You know, later in the Sermon on the Jesus said these words, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume where thieves break in and steal. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust consume, where neither thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. It's, if it's of this world, it's going to rust out. It's going to break down. It's going to turn back to dust. The kingdom is the only thing that matters. It's the only thing that will last. And when we 
we finally run out of all these other options and we finally stop putting our stock in those things, we stop putting our hope and our faith in the things of this world, that's when we will finally experience peace. You may never know Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There are so many ways and things that our world will tell you will bring happiness. But when we release ourselves of those, and we experience the kingdom, and we invite Jesus into those spaces and into those places and where we struggle the most and we invite him to be Lord, we will be blessed. You join me in prayer. Lord, I thank you on this day for hope, for new beginnings. I thank you for resurrection. I thank you for the most difficult parts of the journey, the things we would never choose, never want, that they become the most profound experiences. The times that you show your face. Lord, show your face.